Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and Keith Jones back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. KJ, good to see you again. I'm not in great spirits, but I'm in best, better spirits than last time we talked, if you know what I'm saying. Well, my disappointment uh, turned to anger and then turned to focus on Wake Forest, which is good because I was afraid my disappointment would turn to anger and then would turn to something much worse. Uh, I'm still in disbelief over that final play. I know most of our listeners are as well, but I think, Tommy, it's time to move forward. Can we look back at all, or we're just going to turn the page, rip it up, and go? I, I'm almost inclined to turn the page, rip it up, and let's go. Okay, I mean, let's, I, let's do I, it. You you call the shots. I'll do it. I'll do it. This has been uh, – if you're listening to this show, you're probably listening to the 912 other FSU podcasts are out there. Everybody's uh, beat to death the same talking points. Let, let's go with this. There's no longer an or between Mackenzie Milton – and Jordan Travis on the depth chart, which means Milton is the starter. So what say you? Uh, I agree with the decision. Uh, I still am one that would wish that they would utilize, if he is willing, would utilize uh, Jordan uh, in the slot, even at tailback, uh, and find ways to get the ball into his hands other than uh, taking the snap. Uh, but I, I understand the dynamics that are involved in that. But I do think McKenzie gives you a better shot, uh, although they did not throw the ball down the field after the first couple of drops early in the ball game. They've got to find a way to get the vertical game going, and I think uh, Milton provides the best opportunity for that when it happens. So a couple things about Milton. First of all, we weren't – there's been a – this question will be there as long as he continues to play football, but how long can he hold up? It would appear because he played everything but what – a handful of snaps the other night that there weren't repercussions and he held up. Okay. I've, so I didn't watch him play a lot at UCF, but he definitely has a good pocket sense and presence and awareness. He realizes when the ball's got to be thrown away, he's got that mental clock. He's more mobile than I realized he would be even after that knee injury. And he throws from funky arm slots as we've talked about, but he finds a way to get the ball there. And that at the end of the day is what you're asking your quarterback to do. And one of the other things that he does well is he finds the guy to get the ball to. He doesn't force many things. Uh, he takes, you know, the proverbial what the defense gives him. And there's an argument to be made. I've not had the conversation, not had the opportunity to have the conversation that maybe, maybe in the second, third, and fourth quarter, there were calls to get the ball down the field vertically. But because of the way that Jacksonville State was playing and the reads that McKenzie and progressions that he was going through, that's part of the reason why he checked down. 
you and I talked before we came on the air. The one thing I'd like to do away with, and this is a criticism of play calling, if you want to call it that, is I'm tired of the flanker screens and the bubble screens. They, they, they haven't worked under three regimes now. Let's do something else. <laughs> but those are baked into the RPO, Keith. You know that. <laughs> I got nothing. I just I don't like them. Yeah, well, Florida State has never been very proficient, as you pointed out, under three regimes of, of running them, uh, particularly if it's one where you've got three receivers, a bunch formation, and you're asking two to block and one to catch. That's never been successful. If you're just throwing it quickly to one receiver outside, that's the extended handoff, if you will, and you can get four or five yards. That one doesn't bother me as much, but even that's not been a day at the beach for Florida State uh, over the years. And I know they were target, targeted a little bit, but you, you've got to continue to find ways to get the ball to the tight ends because they're open. And last I checked, they do a much better job catching the thing than the wide receivers do. Although Jordan Wilson had a big drop the other night. Too he did, he did, low. but I'm yeah. still going to go with him. Yeah, no, I hear you. Well, to me, it comes down to this then. Can Florida State run the ball? with Milton as the quarterback. I, I know that you've got to have a threat of a passing game to loosen up the run, which is the argument for McKenzie, along with the points we just made. But even though I said he's mobile, he's not somebody that's mobile the way Jordan Travis is and creates some different dynamics for the opposing defense. Yeah, but Tommy, you don't have to do it through the RPO all the time. If you can line up and run the football, then you can do this thing that's been lost on everyone that's called play action. And then you open up the middle of the field because hopefully you're getting the linebackers to stay in a little longer. You can do some crossing routes. You don't have to do the takeoffs and the nines. You can do some things over the middle and you can get the ball to the tight end. Um, you know, I'm sorry, conventional football still has a place in today's game if you operate it correctly. That's really my question, though. Can Florida State line up and run the football as you just described it? I don't know that you know until you give it a full-hearted chance because they have had some success as they did in the Notre Dame game running the ball. Uh, everything got, you know, out of whack against Jacksonville state. So I don't even know if you can use that as a sample size, but make that a, make that a focus, practice it, carry it into the game and do it. Make Wake Forest change you. A couple minutes to go here in this first segment, we'll be joined by Bob Frante from the Osceola next segment. Then we'll talk volleyball with head coach Chris Poole from Florida State. They are going to honor one of their former players tonight uh, who passed away earlier this year suddenly. Uh, tragic story there. We'll, we'll chat with Coach about that. Keith, let's go macro real quick. So after the Notre Dame game, the feeling was so good. Everybody was in this mindset of, oh, Florida State can – we're going to compete with everybody, save for maybe Clemson. And after last week, everybody's of the mindset that Florida State's not going to be able to beat anybody. Where are you on that in terms of what this team might be able to do? And I realize we got to go one game at a time, and let's beat Wake this week. We've said it numerous times, numerous times before. It's still accurate, even though we sound like we're repeating ourselves. It's all above the shoulders. Uh, it's not the coach's responsibility. I'll probably say that three or four times this, this show and 20 times the rest of the year. It's not the coach's responsibility to get the players ready to play. The coaches coach. The players get themselves ready. They were ready to play against Notre Dame. They were not ready to play against Jacksonville State. That has nothing to do with talent, how much you lift, how fast you run, or anything else. That is completely controllable by the players from the shoulder up. So it can change overnight. 
I would say, and this is way down the line, there were several key injuries around the ACC last week, including BC losing its starting quarterback and starting place kicker. So there's going to be opportunities there when when the time comes for Florida State. But most importantly, they got to get their act together this week, 3.30 against Wake Forest on Saturday. We'll talk more Florida State football. We'll engage Bob Ferrante from the Osceola and put him on the hot seat to talk more specifics about where Florida State football is at this very moment in time. That's when we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We'll continue the football conversation as we welcome our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, joining uh, yours truly and Keith Jones on Front Row Knowles. And Bob joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Hey, Bob, how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you guys? We're good. We had our therapy session. Our first one was in the wee hours, uh, actually early Sunday morning. And we're using this show to sort of turn the page, but we haven't connected. So how long was did you sit and stunned silence or shock after uh the, the clock struck zero literally around midnight on saturday <laughs> you know i think i had just enough time to post on twitter i don't believe what i just saw to to quote jack buck and, and then to have to rewrite furiously what we just saw and try to try to make some sense of it it was you know i think i think the players and the coaches apologizing was was a good start for them part of their therapy and and part of the fans therapy, but frankly, it it was embarrassing whether Florida state had won or or lost it just the night. What was not secured early as it it very much could have been. It's just a a very disappointing thing. I think for the players and the coaches to get through. Well, I think as we sit here at midweek, everyone has been over uh, this call, that call, call the timeout. Don't call the timeout, catch the ball. Don't catch the ball. My focus, candidly, is because we've had this game circled for a while now, is the game coming up. Because Wake Forest, I don't care what anybody says, is a quality opponent. You're playing them at their place. You better be focused or it's going to get worse if that's even possible. I think part of that is is the respect for Dave Kloss and what he's done at Wake Forest, maximizing the roster, recruiting really, really well. Um you know, Coach Fuller has worked with Dave Clawson at, at Richmond. They they know each other well. Mike Norvell and uh, Coach Clawson faced off years back uh, in the Birmingham Bowl, and um, so they're they're familiar with each other more than just tried to prepare for that game last year that was at the end of December and got canceled. I, I think the challenge with Wake Forest is not just good coaches and good personnel, but Wake Forest doesn't make mistakes. They've got an offense that's kind of tricky with that mesh point with, with Sam Hartman holding that RPO a little bit longer. It's forcing the defensive players not to uh, not to make too many mistakes and, and be very keen on, on what you're seeing, not not overly aggressive. It's um, it's so unique that it's just a challenge for the scout teamers to replicate. So Wake is um, kind of presenting something to you that just you don't see as a traditional college football coach, college football player week in, week out. That's just what makes them so challenging. And Kalen Deloach is out for the first half. So how will Florida State handle that? That's in light of his targeting foul at the end of the game. 
Yeah. And next man up is, is Cortez Andrews from, from Godby high school, you know, you know, good for him. It, it would appear like he's going to get his first start. It would appear like this is a game where, where they'll kind of lean on, on three linebackers, you know, some combination of, of Andrews and Lundy and, and Gaynor. And uh, you just, you just got to be very, very, very careful or else, you know, not being mindful of your one responsibility, your one gap can, can create a chunk play that, you know, somebody else has to kind of cover for you. It, it's going to happen. It, it's just don't get frustrated by it. It's it's just learn from the mistake. You know, coaches have to help out in the game, coach guys through it. Um, I I'd be curious. You know, how many guys on the defensive side have have never seen Wake? I mean, we've we've got a lot of new Florida State defensive players. They have not seen this. Uh, didn't play that game last year. That didn't play that opponent. So there's there's just a lot of new things they're going to have to work out. It's going to take a a good feeling out period within that first half. Bob, a positive or a negative thing that we know who the starting quarterback is going to be. I, I think it, it almost had to be Mackenzie Milton in, in some respect. If you buy into the identity of this offense being, you must run it and you've been successful running it. Then the next component is how do you make the passing game work? And it, it feels like it works a little bit better with McKenzie in a rhythm passing game. And everybody's going to say, well, against Jacksonville state, you didn't have the deep passes. It wasn't, wasn't working. There were some drops. There were a lot of penalties. You, you were in second and long third and long. It wasn't just, a, it wasn't a good situation for the quarterback or the receivers. So I, I think there are opportunities for Jordan Travis to get in the game. No doubt. He's going to be a factor. How often is a big question, but it's part of the game plan. And it's part of, um, I still love Kenny Dillingham's line last week. Coaches are paranoid and they want opponents to prepare for two quarterbacks. But I think in essence, your identity is run and use McKenzie to kind of guide the ball down the field, not just as a game manager, but, but as a guy who makes the offense work the best that it can. The coaches were pretty defiant uh, or insistent that they're going to stick with the wildcat. They've always had it in their offense. If you, if that's the philosophy, and maybe it's not just whether it's wildcat, but in short yardage and goal line situations, isn't that where having Travis at quarterback would make some more sense? Because you could hand it Corbin, uh, you know, you could do some zone read stuff. He can throw the ball, uh, or at the very least, somewhere in the back of that playbook, there's got to be a jump pass from Corbin to somebody. Because every time we've seen it the last two years, he's just run it. He hasn't tried to throw it. Yeah, coaches will start to figure it out. I I like the jumbo formation. Um, I, they used four tight ends at one point in that game on the goal line and, and Wyatt Rector caught the touchdown pass uh, from Mackenzie Milton. I, I think there are some advantages to using the multiple tight ends because it just opens up things that you can do. It's, it's hard to cover all those blockers and then realizing who might be a receiver, for example. The Wildcat just doesn't feel like it's in sync at all just yet. I would still prefer to see some RPO type of thing with, with Jordan Travis and Toafili or Jordan Travis and Corbin. It, it just doesn't feel like it's there just yet. Um, you know, we, we don't see, I hope this isn't too insider, but, but honestly, we don't see a whole lot of wildcat in practice there. You know, what we see is Tuesday, Wednesday practices, what they're running on Thursday and Friday and kind of hiding from, from the media and the public is, is certainly their prerogative, but I, I think they're still trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. It, it's really early on for them. And again, not wild with the wildcat, 
but it's um, it's a wrinkle that they like. It has worked for them at Memphis. I think Kenny Dillingham has, has really expressed that they're not going to go away from it. Please tell me we're going to try to get the ball down the field in the air somehow, some way. I think you have to. Otherwise, you know, guys are going to load the box and defenses are just going to, going to put eight or nine up there and, and it's, it's going to be miserable to try to run. But the bottom line is not just throwing it deep, catching it. This is a really basic thing. And I, I think, again, to Kenny Dillingham's point, when Keyshawn Helton dropped that ball that, that is an easy touchdown, it not just erases six or seven points. You don't gain the confidence out of that, that positive first drive energy that, Hey, what we did in practice all week is, is really working how we scripted it. It's going just according to plan as the coaches laid out for us. For us, it hasn't started well, you know, in, in either of these two games, the first quarters haven't gone great. It has been a slow starting team at, at times throughout the last few years through various coaching staffs and various coordinators They've got to throw it deep, but they also have to figure out how to catch it. And, and I think throwing deep also can't be a reflection of you had penalties and you're forced to throw it deep too. Exactly. Um, there's, exactly. There, there's a lot of things. Yeah. It's just a, a lot of things that are kind of tricky right now. The, the self-inflicted wounds are, are, you know, you can't have that against Wake Forest because Wake Forest isn't going to make those mistakes. They're going to be happy that you're making those mistakes. And they're going to take advantage of your mistakes. Well, Dante Lucas was a self-inflicted wound waiting to happen. Three penalties in a half of football last week, and he's no longer on the team. I don't know the the circumstances beyond that or behind that, but as I I, I think everybody had the same thought. He whether he has experience or not, he he can't he just can't see that he's. There's been so many key times he's had penalties. I felt like he had to go another direction. So anyway, that it's moot to discuss that now because he's not on the team. My my bigger question is because of the, the tackle injury, they had to move three players to different positions to make up for one guy going out, which speaks to the lack of depth. Do you think that's still how that has to be handled? If a tackle goes out, are we having to move that many guys to get comfortable? I think that's just the, the best case scenario at this point. You're, you're kind of moving past plan A and all the way to, to plan C. It, it's, it's not a good situation just because getting to eight, Offensive linemen that you feel are dependable did include Dante Lucas and did include Murray Smith, who was injured, and, and also Robert Scott. And when you start subtracting some of those key pieces, you're looking to um, guys who just don't have a lot of playing time. You're, you're looking at a, a Zane Herring. Can he factor in? Um, you're looking to Brady Scott, who I think clearly has experience, but much better suited at guard than tackle. Um, you you've got guys who are guards who can play tackle like a Devonte love Taylor, very capable. I don't feel like it's his natural spot, but I think, I think the offensive line group knew that injuries were going to happen. It's just the nature of, of the way football is. And they tried to cross train through it in August to best prepare, but you also can't expect it to be incredibly functional and, and to look good. And, and often in the second half, it, it just, it just wasn't functional. It, penalties um you know guys just not certain of what they're supposed to do and i yes you'd like to have dante lucas and and i'm you know i think florida state would would like to but it it didn't work out maybe it was mutual maybe it wasn't but you just have to find more guys you can depend on and right now it's tough to find those guys as the season progresses i i think it's more of 
who can we find that we can count on through spring and through August and not, hey, on the fly, who do we have? Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. We'll let you off the hot seat, sir. All right. Take care. He joins us each and every week. We'll take a break. We'll turn our attention to volleyball, a, a special evening, unfortunately, uh, bad circumstances that led to it in part as Florida State will uh, pay tribute to uh, one of their own who lost her life earlier this year. That story is uh, coming up next as Chris Poole, the volleyball coach, joins us here on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you, and we're going to shift gears and talk some Florida State volleyball. We're pleased to be joined by the longtime head volleyball coach at Florida State, Chris Poole. Hey, Coach, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and visit with you. We, we appreciate your time, and we look forward to a conversation about your team and the start you're off to and that sort of thing. There, there's obviously a big match tonight, and I, I don't know if bittersweet is the right emotion. It, it's a celebration, but even that word doesn't feel correct because you're, you're honoring – one of your former players who passed away suddenly earlier this year. And I'll let you share the story with our listeners uh, about what's going to take place in honor and commemoration of Brianna Berry tonight. Okay. Well, we, we certainly, um, I I'm honored that we're taking, having this opportunity to do this for Bree. Bree was a, a tremendous player for us. Uh, she was actually a junior and senior. My first two years that I was at Florida state uh, was one of was obviously one of the best players in the, in the country was ACC player of the year. And then was ACC scholar athlete of the year Uh, went on to play professionally and then had got into coaching, which I was very excited for her. And and so she was out there mentoring other young coaches and, and, and players and, and things like that. We have continued, had continued being very, very close. Um, Unfortunately, she, she passed away during the, the summer and it was a, it was a uh, medical situation that uh, just caught everybody by surprise. And, you know, it, it, it really shocked the country. It shocked the volleyball community because, because she had networked so great with the things that she had done. She had worked camps from around the country. She had been very involved. She had been a, a head coach at a small school in Oklahoma, but was now an assistant coach of a George Washington. And so she, she had really started making a name for herself as a coach. And it's, it's um, certainly one of the saddest days that I've had in my life to, to hear about her passing and to know that um, someone that young and had so much brightness and in such a huge future uh, to be wiped away that way. Coach, you're taking the opportunity to play uh, when you're playing your big rival in the Gators, and and Bree had connections to the Florida program. Now she was a diehard Seminole. She'd tell right. you that, but right. she had connection to the Florida program as well, and that's just great that uh, that's the occasion that will be used to honor her. Yeah, she would go and work their camps, and has done it. She worked our camps and her, and their camps both during the summer, and that's been kind of her tradition over the last ten or twelve years since she graduated, and. 
and has uh, certainly had a good relationship there. It, it, it's interesting because a lot of the pictures that you would see from the camps at their place, she would have her Florida State gear on half the time. So she proudly wore her Florida State gear. And, and Mary Wise, the head coach there, that is a very classy person and, and does an amazing job there, uh, allowed Bree to, to own what she was comfortable with. But she did, she, you know, she was uh, – someone that was very special. And I know that uh, Florida, the, the Gators and, and Mary all uh, certainly were choked up with what had happened. And they are also honored to know that this match is one that they'll be able to have a part in as well. What should, what do you want to convey to fans in terms of the ceremonies taking place tonight at uh, Tully Jam and what'll transpire? They're gonna they're gonna have a video set up for uh, the uh, video is gonna have some of her past. It'll have some of her uh, on there as as well as far as speaking and things. Uh, Cecile Renaud is the one that uh, uh, helped put the video together, and and then they also are going to we actually have gotten it passed to honor her by uh, her jersey being hung hung up and and uh, you know she will will retire that that not retire the number, but we'll retire the Jersey. And so it, she's only the second person in history for that to be done. Gabby Reese being the, the first one. And, and quite honestly, it was an honor that would have happened for Bree either way. It's just the timing of this is such that we, we feel, um, we feel it was, it, it was very needed for us to go ahead and do that now. You know, we could have waited a couple of years and said, hey, Bree needs to be the next one. But we wanted to do that now. We wanted to be able to have a celebration of life. Uh, they're going to Bree was uh, all over the world when she would travel, when she would play uh, and even in coaching and traveling. She always would go into donut shops and things like that to uh, to uh, eat, eat donuts, find them all over the world. And so we, you know, Donuts for Bree was kind of a hashtag that got started even during the summer. And you would see pictures of friends throughout the country putting pictures of themselves with a donut, basically saying, this is for you, Bree. And so that, that is one of the things that they'll do tomorrow night. There's going to be some donuts given out to the fans whenever they come in. And, and then there'll be a, a, a donut toast to her, you know, there before the match. They'll play the video. And then they'll also... Um, you know, with retiring her, her Jersey as well. So it, it's going to be um, an emotional night. It's going to be a tough night for a lot of people. Um, she is going to, a large part of her family is going to be there. So we're, we're excited to celebrate everything. We're excited to do that for her because of what she meant to us on and off the court. It wasn't just her as a great volleyball player. She was just a great human being, a great person that just loved everyone and gave so much of herself to so many different people. And in addition to the retirement ceremony, uh, it will also be acknowledged that she is an inductee into the highest honor that Florida State has, which is the Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah, and it's interesting that I spent much of the spring communicating back and forth about that with her. I, I had the honor of being able to call her and letting her know she had made the Hall of Fame and, and so we spent a lot of time talking about that through the spring. And she was so honored. She was so excited. Um, you know, it, it, it is, um, it really is heartbreaking. But, but, 
you know, she knew that honor was coming. She loved Florida State. She loved the Seminoles. She loved representing this university. And, and there's nothing better than, than for her to get that honor, to get her jersey retired, and for the, the, the fans to be able to pay her, their respects to her. We're talking with FSU volleyball coach Chris Poole uh, about the ceremonies that will take place tonight at Tully Gym to, to honor Brianna Berry, a former FSU player who died suddenly earlier this, this year. How, how old was she, Coach? She graduated in 2009. So what would that, that would make her probably about 32, something like that. That yeah. uh, you know, I'm not a, the exact age of uh, that she was, but it would be in her early 30s. So it, it is uh, uh, too early. Too early, way too early, and and too too much life left that that uh, she had to give. But I know that she's looking down from heaven. I know that she's uh, uh, she's there with her friends. She's there, you know. She's looking over her family, and and um, you know, we just appreciate everything she did, and we appreciate even her family uh, has continued to be big fans of ours since she's been gone. It hasn't been unusual to see her parents up in the stands either over the last 10 or 12 years. And they were even there this past weekend when we played in Orlando and, and they were just a big part of, of, uh, of our program. Coach, it seems uh, certain, maybe, maybe trivial is too strong, but there's no good segue to move on to what you have from your current team after a conversation like that. But can, can you give our listeners a, a sort of a synopsis? You're eight games in, I think you're six and two right now. And obviously Florida is a, a very good program perennially they're 14th in the country as you get set to play them tonight yeah no florida is very very good they they've got a lot of experience back this would i i am really excited about this team they but they but we are young we've got a, of the 13 players six of them are true freshmen and so it's we're we are starting three or four freshmen all the time and it it um it has certainly made it a challenge it's made it exciting every single day we see the team get better. We see individuals get better. Um, a lot of the teams in the country had their COVID super seniors back. Unfortunately, we, we don't. Uh, we have one return. We had three that, that uh, didn't return. And, you know, it, it, um, we realize that it's going to be quite a challenge for us because Florida is, is – uh, they're physical, they're experienced, and, and they are a very good team. But our young guns, they don't, you know, they they only know what they know right now, and that's to just go out and try to play hard. There's been times to where we've been down big within a set, sometimes eight or ten points, and come back to win the set. And so we we're fighters. But it it is uh, it's going to be a fun match to play. It's going to allow our young players to be able to see what a top fifteen level looks like here in preseason, and and to to know the the where the bar needs to be set. And I always talk to him about that. Is that we have to we have to know where that bar is so we know what we need to shoot for and it's going to help us going going into conference going into the year i think the future is very bright with the young players that we have and and really excited about what they're accomplishing right now obviously a big rivalry game tonight but as you moved into the conference schedule who are some of the teams that uh, we should be paying attention to uh, in the ACC well, right now, Pittsburgh and Louisville had they they got back their super their COVID super seniors, and so it uh, they they are going to be loaded. Both of them are top five in the country right now. One's four, uh, Pittsburgh four, I believe, and, and Louisville five, 
And then Georgia Tech is also a top 15 program and have everybody returning from their team last year. So with us losing four starters, I would say we, we lost more than any other team in the conference this year. And, and so we know that we're having to kind of rebuild, reload a little bit with this team in the next couple of years. Uh, but that's going to be the three big ones. But the conference will be as tough as it's been in years. It's, it's uh, really tough top to bottom right now. So you're going to have to go out there every day. There's not going to be an easy match to just take off. You're going to have to go out and play hard every single day. But we, we've got the, we feel we've got the players, the athletes, to be able to do that for the future. And that's the reason we're excited, even though we know that there's a challenge and we know that we are having to play against a lot more experienced teams. We're excited to be able to see how we match up to them. Coach, we wish you the best this year. We appreciate you joining us. And again, I'll use the word bittersweet once more, but uh, we'll be thinking about the FSU volleyball family and Brianna Berry's family tonight as, as you pay her tribute. Thank you. I appreciate both of you. Appreciate the opportunity to come on. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. Thanks to Chris Poole for joining us. FSU's volleyball coach joined us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Keith, I had the opportunity to call several matches Brianna Berry played in years ago. I can't say that I really knew her, but I watched her play, and she was a great player for Florida State. But regardless of any of that, if it's early 30s, it's it's way too soon to be having a, a ceremony or a celebration of life like they're having tonight at Tully Gym. You know, one of the things, and I, I did not have the opportunity to know Brianna, but I've listened to others talk about her and, and the way that she was valued. Uh, the, the little comment that coach made about her being allowed to wear her Florida State uh, shirt, as it were, while she's participating in a Florida Gator camp, I think speaks volumes to the respect that she uh, had. She traveled, all, as, as coach talked about, all over the world, and it's it seems quaint and it seems maybe a little corny, but it's absolutely perfect to honor her with the, with the remembrance about donuts because she was so unique and so colorful in that regard. And everybody knew that about her. So I, that's just, that's just wonderful to me that they're using that as a way to celebrate. So that game, Florida state, Florida, the grudge match, if you will, six o'clock at Tully gym tonight preceded by all the festivities we just spoke of with coach. Also will be televised on the ACC network if you're not able to make it out there to pay tribute or watch Florida State and Florida renew their rivalry. All right, that said, Keith, let's let's shift gears and go back to what uh, we started the show talking about, which is football. we got to play this forward, and if you forget uh, for a little bit the, the record that Florida State currently has, we all sort of had this date circled to play Wake Forest from the get-go. We knew it was going to be a big deal. We didn't know it was going to be as big, but it's still a big deal, and it's been a game circle that Florida State has to win, and, and they've got to go in. And I didn't really think effort was the issue last week, but they better be buttoned up, and the effort better be strong, and the execution as well to beat Wake Forest. You know, we sometimes kid ourselves in thinking, well, well, it's Duke or it's Wake Forest. But these both, both of those programs uh, have really elevated their play. And what, what Clawson's been able to do at Wake has been truly remarkable. And 
And though it's a little smaller stadium, you and I've been in it multiple times, uh, it can get very loud and can get very rowdy. And, and the fan support for the Demon Deacons has really come on strong of late. I mean, it's just a good quality football team. They're not flashy. They're not gaudy. They don't have, a, a, you know, guys that are making, you know, um, sports center at night. But they play steady, solid football on both sides of the ball and in the kicking game. And if you don't have your, your right frame of mind, I mean, this, this is going to be a long night. And I'm scared to death that it is going to be a long night. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that this ball game, will go as long a ways as anyone else in, in Mike Norvell's career, even going forward, to be in an indication of where his program is and what he and his staff is able to do with these kids. It's monumental, in my opinion. Yeah, and I've always thought, and we've both been there many times, Keith, they've, they've done a really nice job with the facilities for what Wake is with such a small, with such a small enrollment. But no matter how you slice it, when you're used to playing at home in Doak or you go to play at Clemson or you play in big games, it just feels smaller. And I've always thought that it's, if you don't have the internal mechanism to create the excitement and the focus and the enthusiasm you need, there isn't anything in the stands there that's going to get you going. I mean, you can't lean on what the environment is, is what I'm saying. Correct. And, and for long periods of times, either at home or as you've mentioned in other stadiums, even if you were the visitor, that excitement and that um, 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 noise level was such that it could be a motivator. And that's not so much uh, there in Winston-Salem, but uh, it can get loud enough that you know they're there and they are very, very supportive of this, of this team. And as mentioned, repeating myself, you better be capable and, and, and focused in all three areas of the ball game. Or they will take advantage of the period of the end. It's also been a place where Florida State, unfortunately, is, I hate to bring this up, but it feels like snake bitten with injuries over the years from – Chris Thompson, maybe most recently to, to guys back in the nineties. And, and that was when they had a different playing surface and all that. It's been the field turf for a number of years now, but for one reason or another, there's not many times we've left Winston Salem feeling good about things. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not one who likes watching a costume person ride that daggum motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think Florida state needs to do here, Keith? I mean, because we've gone from a, after the Notre Dame game, oh, they can play with anybody, to after last week's game, they're going to lose every game on the season. And when I say we, I mean collectively the fan base. That's kind of how the pendulum shifted. Uh, the reality is uh, Florida State is better than what they showed last week, but your record is what it, what it says it is. But what do we need to see from FSU? The focus has got to be on, and this is not anything new, it just needs to be doubled down. The focus needs to be on the jersey you're wearing and not the jersey you're competing against. This is all about your focus on yourself and making sure that you execute the game plan, that you motivate yourself. I, I've been so tired, unfortunately, hearing from folks saying that Norvell didn't get the team ready to play. It's not the coach's responsibility to get the team ready to play. It's the leader's responsibility to get the team ready to play. And so that, that internal drive and that fight and that grit and all the other words that we use has got to come from the players. And a coach can give them a great motivational speech, and that'll last for about the first three plays. But then the rest of the time, it's got to be from within. And they need to do a good, hard, soul-searching look at themselves, play for the guy to the left, the guy to the right, and the jersey that's on your back, and not worry about anything else. Is it crazy to think, as they're sitting here 0-2, Keith, that there is some signs of improvement, or is that not even worth uh, any – remote discussion given the results 
Oh, I, I think there's plenty of signs of improvement. The effort, uh, the, the ability to make some plays, even though they didn't finish them. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about people being wide open. I know they had the one bust on the one touchdown, but, you know, defenders are closer to where they need to be. Offensive linemen are hanging with people longer than they have. Receivers are getting open. They just got to catch the ball. Quarterback is as mobile, and, and when McKenzie's in there, as accurate as, as needs to be. So there's plenty of things to be uh, optimistic about. Uh, the eye test is still good. The energy level is still good. The effort is still good. They just have to execute. And unless and until they do that, it'll be a long year. Execution has been an issue for several years now. And maybe what it is, Keith, when you don't have talent that outclasses the opposition, when you, when you do have that, the little mistakes you can get by with. When you don't, Correct. they come back and bite you. And Florida State has just been in a cycle. You just can't have 13 penalties. If a, if a ball is thrown to a DB, Keith, you've got to be screaming, how many times are our DBs going to have a ball in their hands and they don't come away with the pick? it's it drives you nuts it drives you nuts and I'll tell you I know it was 40 years ago but dadgummit if I can do it they can do it so do it (laughs) at some point it's got to turn right I mean at some point it has to it will and you never know when it is and that's why you got to keep the effort up and you got to play every play FSU and Wake Forest will have the post-game recap as we always do in our special weekly uh, post-game editions of uh, Front Row Knowles. Until next week, however, he's Keith, I'm Tom, and thanks for tuning in.